Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee and welcome to episode 36 of the Benzo Free Podcast. It's been a busy week around here. Um, I'm kind of curious how your week's been. I hope things are going well and that your recovery or whatever state you're in right now is improving every day. I'm back in Colorado now, back in my studio, as you probably could tell. <laughs> Lots of stuff going on, so I'd like to catch you up for just a few minutes. I hope that's okay. First off, I received a lot of wonderful feedback on last week's episode, and it really meant a lot to me. In particular, the Benzo morning section in the Kansas City hotel room seemed to be something that connected. Many of you told me that it felt raw, personal, real, and that you had the same experiences, same feelings, same struggles. I even received a few additional suggestions of how to handle those mornings, which I will be sharing in upcoming episodes. But I wanted to thank everyone who provided the feedback. It was wonderful to hear, and I am so very grateful More roadshows are in the future, and hopefully some of you will be part of them. I'll let you know as they get nearer, and we'll figure out how we're going to move forward with this type of format. Unfortunately, you may have noticed that I had to cut the trip short. A few of you emailed me checking in to see if things are all right, and I really appreciate the concern, so let me catch you up. Many of you might be familiar with Bear, my Aussie Shepherd dog. If you read my book, you realize how important he is to us. Well, on Friday when I was in KC, we got news that Bear has cancer. Stage 3 lymphoma. It, it hit both me and my wife pretty hard. I realize that for many people, dogs are just pets and not part of the family, and that's okay. No judgment whatsoever. But we're not those people. To us, Bear is more than part of our family. He's our kid. My buddy, my best friend, he's almost 13 years old now and had a great life, but we're just not ready to let him go yet. Unfortunately, without treatment, life expectancy for canine lymphoma is about four to six weeks. So when I got the news after finishing with my sister's move on Saturday morning, I jumped in the car and headed straight home to be with Shanna and with Bear. The good news is that we found a good doctor and have started him on a treatment program already. We're hopeful it will buy us some more time with our furry friend, but the number one thing for us is his quality of life. All we can do is wait and see. This has been a hard week for both of us, and um, I'm sure many of you have been through this too. This is our third dog that we've had since we've been married. And unfortunately, of course, the first two have passed on, and it's hard going through this type of an event, as so many of you, I'm sure, understand. And unfortunately, the stress of the trip and the news of my dog and a few other things going on in my life triggered a, 
you guessed it, a nasty wave of symptoms. In fact, I've had some symptoms return, which I haven't had in a couple of years. Now, please don't read too much into this. This wave is a surprise because I haven't had one like this for a long time, which is great news. Still, sometimes in protracted withdrawal, during very stressful times, old symptoms come back. The good news is that the symptoms are more of a surprise and annoyance than anything else. Some of the symptoms that returned for me were flushing and hot flashes. I hadn't had that one in a long time. I got some mild heart palpitations back again and some increased muscle pain, chest pain, jitteriness, restlessness, along with some more recent symptoms like memory loss, cognitive dysfunction, you know, facial paresthesia, and general irritability, which I've had lately. So it's been a tough week on many levels, but the real takeaway here is that I'm managing. Even with the extreme stress, I'm managing, and I'm getting through it. And, And I know it will pass, and I'll be fine soon. I just have to get through this difficult period in our lives. So enough of the sad stuff. (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. Thanks. Uh, There's also been a lot of activity in the Benzo community as of late, in case you haven't been tuned in, including this week's conference in Arizona on benzodiazepines. Uh, There's a hearing coming up on the Massachusetts bill and plenty of other things going on. If if you want to know more about what's happening in the community, please check out Bic's website or Facebook page or WBAD's Facebook page or, or others for the latest news. Links to those can be found on our website. I've also been getting a lot of wonderful feedback from you and some wonderful ideas for future topics and episodes. Thank you so much for that. I I can't say it enough. You are this podcast. You bring me the ideas and the content. I just do a little research and talk about it and occasionally share a story of my own. Well, maybe more than occasionally. Some of these new topics include great ideas like an episode dedicated to coping skills or one dedicated to tapering and especially on the jumping and the last dose of a taper or on alternative treatments and supposed cures for benzodependence or an episode on healing titled From Healing to Healed, How Do You Know When You've Arrived? or one on waves and windows titled Riding the Wave, Knowing When It Might Be Coming and Ways to Soldier Through and much, much more. Each of those ideas and titles for episodes came directly from you, the listeners. This is exactly what I'm looking for, so thank you to everyone who has submitted ideas, and please keep them coming. You are the greatest. Today we'll return to our normal format, which will include our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, and our feature topic. Our feature today is the social symptoms of benzo withdrawal. This is part 13 in our 14-part series on the symptoms of benzo withdrawal. We will talk about both specific social phobias and generalized social anxiety, what it's like during benzo withdrawal, and what you can do about it to help manage. And we still need feedback, as always. Yes, I've been getting more feedback lately, and that is great, but please keep it coming. I love this stuff. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions, or the real reason why the dinosaurs vanished? I think it has something to do with Elvis, but I can't be sure. Anyway, I need feedback. This is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was meant to be. 
So please tell me what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blog post itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Let's move on to our mailbag. As I mentioned in our introduction, we've been receiving some excellent questions and comments lately. It, enough that we now have some in our queue for a few future episodes. Thank you for that. This really helps me work on the podcast to have information to put into our format. So today I'm going to expand our mailbag a bit and share two comments and two questions. I hope you find them informative. The first comment is a quick one from Kathy in Phoenix, Arizona. This comment is of a technical nature about the website. Kathy writes, Your link to record your story in your own voice leads to a 404 error, page not found. You might want to fix that if you want us to record. Thanks, Kathy. The truth is, I don't always know when something on the website is broken. Kathy was correct, but not only was that link broken, but all redirected URLs were not working on the BenzoFree website. This was a big problem, one I was not aware of until Kathy told me. The good news is that it has all now been fixed and everything is back up and running online. Thanks, Kathy, for taking the time to let me know that something wasn't working. It was a big help. The next question comes from Stephen in Germany. Stephen writes, Dear D, I'm very glad you are taking time to help me and others during this difficult time. Also, thank you for all the advice on what medications to avoid. I will surely read more about it in your book, and I'm also looking forward to the new podcast episodes. I know you have not experienced depersonalization, derealization during your withdrawal, but I was wondering if you experienced a loss of feelings at any time. For me, I think that coexists with my DPDR, but at times I feel very distant, not only to myself and my surroundings, but also to people in my life and my own emotions. I guess it makes sense in a way that this DPDR can impact many levels of perception, but it makes me sad that most days I have trouble feeling close to my loved ones, even though I want to feel connected to them. Withdrawal becomes even more isolating in that regard. Hope you are well. Best wishes, Stephen. I receive several questions about emotions on this podcast, which is why I talk about them so often. The physical symptoms can be very difficult and painful and overwhelming but most of us struggle more with the psychological ones like detachment, loss of emotion, anger, depression, and, of course, anxiety. Stephen brings up a topic we've talked about before, but one I think it's a good idea to revisit now and then. The answer is yes, I definitely had a loss of feelings. In fact, they even come and go still, which is a case for so many of us. Loss of feelings, detachment, suppressed emotions, emotional blunting, whatever you want to call it, is very common in benzo withdrawal. For many of us, it happens initially while we're still taking benzos. Benzos suppress emotions, and so many, including myself, have felt emotionally numb during this time. I did get an intense return of emotions during acute withdrawal as access to my emotions returned, and I still deal with them today, but that doesn't mean I have emotions or access to them 
all the time. I still have my moments, even days, where I feel emotionally blunt again, even to the point of irritation or anger. So I understand that feeling of being distant, even though you don't want to be. One of the most frustrating parts for me is the emotional irritation. My wife or someone else close to me may want to be intimate with me, not necessarily in a sexual sense, but just want to be close, hold hands, snuggle. This is great, and most of the time I love it, but not all the time. And I don't always know why. There are times when I have an extreme aversion to this closeness. It's very bizarre, and I have no idea where it comes from. And it's not just an aversion. Sometimes it even comes with irritation and anger. It's like there's one part of me which can't stand to be touched, but another part which knows better and really wants to be touched. And I can't make sense of this sudden wall that went up. I know that some people have this feeling even without benzo withdrawal, and it can have a series of causes which may seem endless. But for many of us, it first really appeared during dependence. This is just one aspect of the inability to feel close to loved ones. And these feelings can have a disastrous effect on our relationships if we don't know how to manage them. I'm not a counselor and I can't advise anyone on this, but for me, I found that being open to my feelings was the first step. This is hard for so many people, but by letting your loved ones know what you are dealing with and letting them know it is not about them and that this is a symptom and will ease over time helps them manage this time with you. The other thing I do is actually remove myself physically from a situation when I need to especially when the aversion is strong and I just want to run or jump or escape. Excuse yourself and leave the room for a while. Most of the time, the intensity eases quite quickly once the situation is behind you. And you can calm down, take a look at your feelings, and then return and explain what has been happening. The main thing is not to keep your loved ones in the dark. I know it's tempting to keep many of the things we go through to ourselves, and on occasion, that is the right thing to do. But always try and put yourself in their shoes. Wouldn't you want to know what is going on with your loved one so you can work with them and find solutions together? Let your loved ones know that your emotions have been temporarily affected by benzo withdrawal, and your heart hasn't been affected. The love is still there, and it's just as strong. Unfortunately, your nervous system is damaged, and thus, you are at a loss sometimes, as you are trying to process these emotional triggers. You know, just like all symptoms, this sensation usually does ease, and you will find ways to manage it over time. Let's move on. Our next question is from our good friend Terry in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Terry writes, In your achesisia, did you have, or do you have, issues with muscle spasms? I have them on my feet so bad that only by standing up do I get any relief. I dread laying down or sitting. Hang tough, Benzo brother. We are all we got. Terry. Thanks for the question, Terry. Before I answer, I did want to clarify something for myself more than anything else. And that is, what is the difference between muscle spasms and muscle cramps? I never really knew this, so I looked it up. According to the website onhealth.com, muscle spasms are defined as when a skeletal muscle contracts and does not relax. These can be very painful and are usually involuntary. Muscle cramps are basically a sustained muscle spasm. Whew. 
Now that I got that answered, I can return to the question. Muscle spasms and cramps are very common in benzo withdrawal, with or without ecclesia. Don't forget that when it comes to muscles and benzo withdrawal, there are multiple factors at work here. One, most benzos are excellent muscle relaxants, and now your muscles are tensing up as the medication is being removed. Second, our nervous system has been damaged, so the signals our muscles may be receiving may be incorrect signals. And third, dehydration can be a big factor in benzo withdrawal, and dehydration can lead to muscle spasms and cramps, so make sure you are properly hydrated. As for how to relieve these, as I mentioned above, hydration is a big one. Also, potassium and magnesium are good for the muscles, and we can have imbalances during withdrawal. Regular stretching and yoga can help prevent these spasms too, and I found Epsom salt baths to be helpful relief. To learn more about muscle symptoms of benzo withdrawal, check out podcast episode number 29, Tight, Tense, and Twitching, Muscular Symptoms in Benzo Withdrawal. I hope that helped. Our next comment I received from a listener who I've been corresponding with for a couple of months now. His email was written to me privately, as much of my correspondent with the listeners are, but I thought it was so well written that I asked him if I could share it here, and he agreed if he could remain anonymous. So, as I often do, I will refer to him as my friend. I have spoken many times about acceptance and returning to the real world on this podcast, but my friend here said it best. I hope you enjoy his words. My friend writes, I haven't written in a while. I wanted to drop you a line and explain why. I understand it is not necessary, but I wanted to. I began this month with a real desire to get on with my life. I came to the personal realization that having a strong focus on my benzo withdrawal symptoms was leading me into a very self-focused feedback loop obsession. Yes, I still have symptoms, and yes, I still have times when they come out on top but I have to stop focusing on them and altering the life choices that I make to appease them. The camping trip I pushed myself to go on was an excellent challenge to me physically and mentally. It showed me that I was much more capable than I had previously thought. Did things go wrong? Absolutely. But the fact that things could go wrong and my worst fears could be realized and I was still okay at the end of it showed me that my fears and anxieties were only fears and anxieties. With that understanding, I agreed to join my wife and daughter on a two-week trip overseas. I just got back and had a fantastic time. Sure, I had to face my anxieties and got very little sleep, but all in all, most of my anxieties did not come to fruition, and the ones that did, I could handle them. I had to handle them. I took things day by day, didn't obsess over my symptoms, and was kept so busy that I have nothing but good memories. Even the difficult situations I remember positively, because I successfully got through them. Anyways, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I still have a long way to go. But I think the expectation that I need to be perfect is an unreasonable goal in order to get back in the game. How many of us were perfect to begin with? I look around and see people with so many different physical and mental disabilities and see, even in my current state, how much luckier I am than them. 
I also see those same people getting on with their lives, with a much more difficult burden to carry than the one I have. It seems to me that we need to keep our personal situations in perspective. They are a big deal to us, but they are not a big deal to anyone else. I think at some point in recovery, we all need to accept this and get on with our lives. Well, thank you, my friend. Those were wonderful words to share. I I realize that these words, for some of you, will fall on deaf ears, and I understand that. For many of you in acute withdrawal, your lives are just overwhelming right now, and it may seem impossible to move on. And the last thing we're trying to do here is belittle at all this experience of Benza withdrawal. It is intense. It is life-changing. And some people don't make it through. But there will come a day when you will need to make the decision my friend here made and decide to move on and return to the world of living. And when that day comes, it may not be an easy decision. But know that when you're ready and you want to expand that isolation bubble you find yourself in just a little, the world is out there and it can be a pretty amazing place. Thanks to my friend for allowing me to share his words here. Good luck with your new life and I truly wish you well. I think I'll leave that one at that. Let's move on to our Benzo story. First, I want to thank those who have recently submitted their stories to the podcast. I am very grateful to each of you. We finally have a couple in the queue again, so if I don't share yours today, no worries. It will be included in the coming week or two. Today, we have an update story. This one is from Pam in Louisiana. Pam originally shared her story in episode 28 in June of this year. She was prescribed Ativan for insomnia when she was 48 years of age and took the drug for nine years. She successfully tapered off the drug and is now benzo-free. Today's update from Pam is in two parts, one regarding a surgical procedure she had, and the second just an update to let me know how she is doing. Thank you, Pam, for allowing me to share your update with the listeners today. Pam writes, I wanted to share that yesterday I had a surgical procedure. When the anesthesiologist came in, she began to tell me what would happen before the procedure. She told me I would be given Versed, which I asked, was this a benzodiazepine? She said it was in the class and that it was strictly for pre-op only. I spoke with her briefly and shared my story with her. She calmly explained to me the importance of having this prior to my surgery. I remembered what you said and what the doctor said on your show and Dr. Ashton. I knew this was a medical procedure and that this drug was specifically designed for it. I'm thankful for the knowledge I've gained, and I'm listening now to episode 25 on our way back from the hospital. I had a partial thyroidectomy, doing great, no pain meds, just Tylenol. This was the first update Pam sent me in early July. I I thought this was an important one to share here, since she brings up a concern so many of us have had. Can we take a benzodiazepine for surgical procedures? And if we do, will it complicate our recovery or withdrawal? Versed is a common brand name for the benzodiazepine midazolam. Midazolam is most frequently used in medical procedures since it's a strong sedative and provides fast recovery. Diazepam, temazepam, and lorazepam are also common for medical procedures. Ashton does speak to this topic quite clearly along with others I have shared on this podcast. 
Here are a few quotes to help clarify this issue and perhaps put your mind at ease. Professor Ashton said, A single dose of a benzodiazepine given for an operation does not bring back the addiction. And this one is from the Benzo Buddies website. You should not worry that a single dose of a benzodiazepine will cause the reemergence of withdrawal symptoms. Now, I realize Ashton mentioned addiction there, and please don't jump on that term. That is the terminology she was using at the time during the Ashton manual. You can always substitute dependence in for that word if you prefer. I understand the concern so many of us face, especially after what we've been through. Sure, if I can do a procedure without benzos, I'd prefer that. But if I needed them, I would take them. I trust Ashton and the other benzo leaders and realize these drugs are needed in some circumstances. Now back to the second part of Pam's message. In early September, Pam wrote back with a very encouraging update. I just wanted to check in with you and let you know that I'm still doing well. Today is day 143 benzo-free. I feel so much better. This whole journey has been so much better than I ever expected. There have been good days and not so good days. I am so grateful for every podcast and appreciate your dedication to spreading the truth and knowledge of the dangers of these horrific drugs. I am sending a picture today so that you can see the face of recovery. I know it's a process, but today is a good day. I joined a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class. Pam did send a picture to me of her in her jiu-jitsu class, looking great, healthy, and energetic. I love hearing stories and seeing pictures like these of those of us who have recovered and are living full lives. There are so many who are doing that, and it's important for the rest to remember that. Thanks again to Pam for sharing. I really enjoyed your updates, and please keep them coming. And don't forget, we still need stories. Yes, we finally have a few in the queue to share again, but we can always use more. And this includes update stories like Pam's. Even if you shared your Benzo story here before, send us an update. I would love to share that with our listeners. Just go to our feedback forum at benzofree.org feedback and share your story or send an email to podcast at benzofree.org or record it in your own voice. I would love to hear that too. Let's move on to our feature. Today, our feature topic is the social symptoms of benzo withdrawal. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM, divides social anxiety into two specific subtypes. Those with specific social anxiety have anxiety in very specific settings, environments, or conditions, such as public speaking. And those with general social anxiety have trouble in almost any social situation. For me, social anxiety has never been a big issue. I can and have spoken in front of a thousand plus people without breaking a sweat. I have plenty of fears, as you might have figured out by now, but I am quite thankful that social anxiety is not really one of them. Still, I do have agoraphobia, and it did escalate during withdrawal. The, the fear of being trapped can be intense for me, but it is occasional and not a significant hindrance. Compared to those who really suffer from this condition, my experience is mild at best. In addition to agoraphobia, I have felt some anxiety and restlessness when others are around, and I occasionally freeze up in some conversations in the middle of withdrawal. It's a problem that I never had before I went through this experience. Part of my issue might be that I was out of practice due to self-inflicted isolation. Clearly, my 
social skills atrophied when I went through benzo withdrawal. I, I don't really know the cause, but it has given me a small taste of social anxiety. And I'm very grateful that it's not a fear I have to live with every day. But enough about me. Let's hear from one of our listeners about her experiences. This one is from a benzo story we shared a while back from Holly in South Dakota. Holly writes, My story is probably like all others. I was prescribed Ativan for health-related anxiety. After taking it daily for two years, I started to develop agoraphobia. I'm 10 months off now and still can't be in public. Well, I can and do, but it's extremely uncomfortable. I was an RN working full-time and now not able to be places too long. I'm not anxious per se. Going out, it's what I call a complete sensory overload. Instantly, when I'm in a store, the lights hit my brain and I become irritable, overwhelmed, brain-buzzing feeling. I'm so scared this is permanent. I want my old life back. And Holly's description is mild compared to many others. Some of you have been trapped in your own homes for days, even weeks, and can't walk out your front door without a panic attack. Social anxiety is a widespread problem for people on benzos. Many started taking the drug because of this issue, and others developed it during the process. It can be very frightening and extremely limiting. Social anxiety issues rob people of their freedom. Let's take a closer look at general social anxiety, and then we'll talk about the specific ones. According to the Social Anxiety Association, social anxiety disorder or social phobia is the fear of social situations that involve interaction with other people. And the National Institute of Mental Health states that a person with social anxiety disorder feels symptoms of anxiety or fear in certain or all social situations such as meeting new people, dating, being on a job interview, answering a question in class, or having to talk to a cashier in a store. Doing everyday things in front of people, such as eating or drinking in front of others or using a public restroom, also causes anxiety or fear. The person is afraid that he or she will be humiliated, judged, and rejected. Social anxiety disorder is the third largest mental health care problem in the world today. About 7% of the American population is affected by it. People with this disorder are often seen as being shy, quiet, backward, withdrawn, inhibited, unfriendly, nervous, aloof, or disinterested. But in actuality, they are often the opposite and want to make friends and be included more than anything. They just can't. According to the Social Anxiety Association, triggering situations can include being introduced to other people, being teased or criticized, being the center of attention, being watched or observed while doing something, having to say something in a formal public situation, meeting people in authority, feeling insecure and out of place in social situations, embarrassing easily, meeting other people's eyes, swallowing, writing, talking, or making phone calls if in public. You don't have to be diagnosed with the disorder to suffer its effects, especially in benzo withdrawal. Causes of social anxiety include genetics, 
This disorder can run in families or underdeveloped social skills or misreading others' social cues and behaviors or past traumatic events and also can be affected by stress, environment, and other factors. Isolation is far too common in benzo withdrawal. For some, it is caused by pain, discomfort, and depression. But for many, social anxiety is the primary trigger. Most of the people who suffer from this condition know that their fear is irrational, but they are unable to control it. As I said in the intro, some people had social anxiety prior to benzos, and withdrawal may have escalated their condition, while others may never have had anxiety in any social situations and are very surprised when this fear arises. Specific social anxieties is part of specific anxieties or phobias. And they are just what they seem. They are an anxiety disorder specific to a certain situation. Phobias are the most common forms of mental illness. According to World Atlas, they affect between 8 and 18% of the U.S. population. The 10 most common phobias are 1. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders and scorpions. 2. Ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. 3. Acrophobia, fear of heights. 4. Aerophobia, fear of flying. 5. Sinophobia, fear of dogs. 6. Astrophobia, fear of lightning and thunder. 7. Trypanophobia, fear of injections or needles. 8. Socialphobia, fear of social events or situations. 9. Agoraphobia, fear of being in an unsafe environment, being trapped, embarrassed, or in danger. And 10. Mysophobia, fear of dirt, bacteria, or germs. You know, I always thought that fear of public speaking was the most common, but I guess according to this list, I was wrong. Of that list, two of them, agoraphobia and social phobia, fit into today's category. Let's look at other specific social phobias. These can include agoraphobia, we just mentioned that one, glossophobia, fear of public speaking or fear of performance, Hafophobia or aphenmosmophobia, fear of being touched. Philophobia, fear of love. Paruresis, fear of using public restrooms or inability to urinate in front of others, and the only one in this list without the word phobia in it. Anthrophobia, fear of people or society. Sociophobia, fear of social evaluation. Androphobia, fear of men. Gynophobia, fear of women. Itrophobia, fear of doctors, some of you may have that one, and many more. Agoraphobia is perhaps the most commonly known of these, so let's talk about that for a minute. According to the Mayo Clinic, agoraphobia is a type of anxiety disorder in which you fear and avoid places or situations that might cause you to panic and make you feel trapped, helpless, or embarrassed. People with agoraphobia have a hard time feeling safe in any public place, and thus often stay home most of the time. Specific fears of agoraphobia can include leaving home alone, crowds, waiting in line, enclosed spaces, open spaces, using public transportation like we mentioned, and many others. Sometimes agoraphobia or other specific social phobias are combined with panic disorder, making the situation far more intense, frightening, and embarrassing. Without treatment, some people have been housebound with agoraphobia for years. 
As I mentioned in my book, one of the greatest poets of the 19th century, Emily Dickinson, suffered from debilitating social anxiety and was often housebound. Her suffering fed her creativity. She rarely left her bedroom after she turned the age of 40. Darwin also was housebound by his anxiety for decades and would probably never have been able to finish his work on evolution if it wasn't for this disability. Sir Isaac Newton invented calculus, which no one knew about for 10 years because he was too agoraphobic to leave his home. And the list goes on and on. So if you are suffering from social anxiety or agoraphobia, you're in good company. As I mentioned in the intro, I did have increased agoraphobia during my withdrawal, not nearly to the level some of you have experienced, but I do know the fear. Now, just to lighten things up in this feature, when I was researching phobias, I came across some, well, unique ones, and I thought I might share them with you before moving on, just as a comedic break, maybe. And if I mispronounce any of these, as I'm sure I will, I apologize in advance. Some of these unique ones include anemophobia, fear of the wind, octophobia, fear of the figure eight, optophobia, fear of opening one's own eyes, leukophobia, fear of the color white, porphyrophobia, fear of the color purple, allodoxophobia, the fear of opinions, didascalinophobia, fear of going to school, colophobia, the fear of dancing, omphalophobia, fear of your own navel, arachabutyrophobia, the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth, and my all-time favorite, let me get a full breath for this one, hippopotamonstrosesquipedaleophobia. Any guesses on that one? No, not even close. It's the fear of long words. <laughs> I love that one. Anyways, I just thought I'd sneak those in as a little bit of a break. Let's talk about treatment for a second. Medications such as antidepressants can have some effect in the management of social anxiety, but have not shown to have the same success as therapy over time. Anti-anxiety drugs, unfortunately, are commonly prescribed for social anxiety problems and may be how some of you got into this mess in the first place. Beta blockers can also be prescribed to handle the physical effects of anxiety. There's also gabapentin. It's another medication commonly prescribed for social anxiety, commonly sold under the brand names Neurontin, Graylease, and Neraptine. In recent studies, it has been found to be as effective as benzodiazepines in reducing social and other forms of anxiety. Also, it is sometimes prescribed as an adjunct medicine during benzodiazepine withdrawal. Unfortunately, there are some concerns about this drug. Gabapentin's chemical structure resembles GABA, and it increases GABA in the brain. And little is known about how it actually works in the body, and few, if any, studies have been done on the long-term side effects of this drug. Hmm. This description sounds a bit familiar. <laughs> Gabapentin is known to have a potential for addiction, and tolerance is said to build up quickly, so caution needs to be used if prescribed. Please work with your doctor if you are prescribed this and voice any concerns you may have to him or her. But there are other alternatives. One of the most successful treatments for social anxiety has been 
you guessed it, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, just as it is for insomnia and depression and many other psychological disorders. This does require time and the support of a good psychologist or psychiatrist, but it's perhaps the most effective long-term solution for managing the condition. Prognosis for success in CBT is good for social anxiety, and people completing CBT training report a high success rate compared to control groups. Unfortunately, lack of well-trained therapists can be a hindrance to this type of treatment, and it may take time and some trial and error to find one who can help. Group support has also been shown to be helpful, especially in conjunction with therapy. I'd encourage you to speak with your doctor or therapist if you wish to pursue this avenue of treatment. There are also some self-help treatments for social anxiety, such as self-help books, relaxation therapies, deep breathing exercises, and self-led exposure therapy. And that wraps up our feature. If social anxiety is a problem for you, and I know it is for so many, I hope you can find some information in today's feature that might help. And before we get on to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal or professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzo Free Podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place. Today we are going to do something a bit different. We're going to do a walking meditation. If you are in a sitting position and prefer to do a sitting meditation, just find a mantra or something else to focus on and continue on with your meditation. But if you want to try walking meditation, now is a good time to start. While sitting meditation is perhaps the most common form, walking meditation is a close second. It's quite simple, actually, and although there are a variety of forms, we're going to stick with a basic one today. All you have to do is find a safe place to walk. It can be on the sidewalk, on a trail, or even within your own home. Start by breathing slowly. Fix your gaze in front of you so you can see oncoming hazards, and walk slowly and deliberately. That's it. Feel free to add a mantra like so hum or perhaps a listening meditation and listen to the sounds around you. That is one of my favorites for walking. And that's it. So let's get started. Take a deep breath in. 
Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, then let the breath out slowly, relaxing our entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally, and start walking, or if you are sitting, start your mantra. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your point of focus. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute. next episode is episode 37 and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.